the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We'll look at the House and gridlock and the dangers we are late in addressing. They gave us, Republicans, an opportunity to inject some basic common sense into the federal government. That was Wisconsin Mike Gallagher, who joins us. We can't do anything until we elect a speaker. We, we're, we're dead in the water right now. We'll look at the ongoing threat from what is happening at our southern border. The Biden administration has released more people into the U.S. than they sent back under Title 42. Just the bottom line. Plus, Dennis Prager takes a look at the blue state agenda. The fact that these Democrats sleep well after passing laws to make sure that the mutilation of children is legal proves that the conscience in most people is useless. All this and more, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter, please, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. The 118th Congress is off to a rough start. Actually, it hasn't crossed the starting line yet. January 3rd, Tuesday this past week, was supposed to be the first working day of the new Congress. And the first order of business is electing the new Speaker of the House. That, for all of you who have tracked this with even a bit of attention, did not go smoothly, is not going smoothly. The House voted three times on Tuesday. It voted three times more on Wednesday. It will do so again on Thursday. On each vote, the California Republican, Kevin McCarthy, gathered 200 votes, but not the 218 necessary. On Wednesday, as voting continued, Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher addressed his colleagues. I know people are getting frustrated. Take a look at this chamber and realize how lucky we are to serve this country in Congress. How lucky we all are, Democrats and Republicans, to be citizens of the greatest country in the history of the world. I say that because I know last night people were frustrated. They wanted to go to parties. They wanted to take pictures with their families. But honestly, we find ourselves here in this chamber for the second day. We know we got work to do, but in some ways there's no place I'd rather be. But maybe with the excitement, some of you hadn't had an opportunity to check what's happening online, let me fill you in, or what's happening on Twitter, what the press is writing about. In some ways, they're salivating. There's headlines about the chaos, this and that. Yesterday, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle were tweeting their bags of popcorn that they had out. They love it. The schadenfreude is palpable. But I think my friends on the Democratic side, misunderstand what's happening here. Sure, it looks messy, but democracy is messy. Democracy is messy by, by design, by design. And that's a feature, that's a feature, not a bug of our system. We air it all out in the open for the American people to see, because at the end of the day, 
The president's not in charge. The Supreme Court's not in charge. The Speaker of the House is not even in charge. The American people are in charge. And I'm proud to be part of a party that welcomes debate, that invites different views, that isn't afraid of that. Now, I listened to some of my colleagues yesterday. Mr. Roy from Texas, my good friend, he knows I respect his views. I have been his partner in anti-proxy voting crusades, pro-regular order crusades. I understand. I know that his intentions are pure. I know a lot of people are just frustrated with the way Congress works. But, and Chip, you know I believe that in my bones, nobody has done more to lay out a plan for how we restore the basic functioning of this institution than Kevin McCarthy. Nobody. Nobody has done that. Now, you may not have gotten everything you wanted. There are things I want that I know it's just not possible to get done in this Congress. But Mr. McCarthy has gone above and beyond in terms of listening to people with concerns and laying out a plan for how we restore the basic functioning of the House of Representatives. Furthermore, I believe no one has done more to bring us into the majority than Kevin McCarthy. I, listen, I wish we had a bigger majority, right? I, I wish we could do everything over the next two years. But the American people gave us an opportunity. They gave us, Republicans, an opportunity to inject some basic common sense into the federal government, to pull the emergency brake on a lot of the crazy we've seen in the last few years. They're asking us to do a job. And nobody has laid out a plan a proactive policy agenda for the direction we want to take this country in more detail than Kevin McCarthy. You all had an opportunity to provide input into that plan. And the irony of this current moment and this debate we're having is that on the big stuff we all agree, right? We want to secure the border. We don't want the executive branch to do everything through a pen and a phone. We want to work with our Democratic colleagues when it comes to standing up to our enemies abroad, right? There are basic things we know we need to do. It is time to get to work. So you might tweet out some more popcorn emojis. I get it. You might write your headlines. But what I see right now is energy, a tremendous amount of energy in this Republican caucus who want to do the work of the people. Mr. McCarthy is not asking you to endorse business as usual in the House. He's laid out a plan to renew the House of Representatives and once again make it an institution that we can credibly look ourselves in the mirror and say we are working in the people's house. For that and many other reasons, I nominate Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. Congressman Gallagher was a guest on my program. What would you be doing today as chairman of the Select Committee on China? Well, what we would have done is actually pass a bill getting rid of the tens of thousands of IRS agents that uh, Team Biden and House Team Pelosi in the House uh, created. So we've already missed an opportunity to pass a common sense bill that helps working Americans. We would be passing a rules package that would basically stand up uh, the 118th Congress, as well as create the Select Committee 
on China, uh, which I'm supposed to chair. The key point here, Hugh, is that nothing can happen until we elect a speaker. I haven't even been sworn in. We can't do anything until we uh, elect a speaker. We, we're, we're dead in the water right now. And we, you know, this may seem like just a day here, a day there, but all of a sudden you, you waste a week, you waste January, and you're behind the curve for the first quarter. Well, we've wasted two months. Time is of the essence. Pulling the emergency brake on all the progressive craziness we've seen over the last two years. And there, you think about it, the fundamental mistake Biden made is interpreting a narrow election victory for a massive progressive mandate to do transformative change. Well, neither can we interpret a narrow victory in the last election as a mandate for burning down the House. We can interpret it as the American people saying, we want less crazy from the Biden administration and more common sense. And it's up to us as Republicans to bring the common sense and be the adults in the room. I just want people to understand what we're not doing. If the select committee, China got ahead of us more yesterday. They probably launched another ship. They probably got another gazillion views on TikTok. You didn't have a hearing with a witness to talk about what TikTok is doing to children. What else didn't, you mentioned the IRS agent, but education of the country as to the peril we are in on the national security side seems to me to be the most important thing that didn't get done. And how long, did the 20 of them have any explanation for why they don't want that to happen? Uh, I didn't hear an explanation. Um, you know, and I think some of them don't see the urgency. They're fine with us not doing anything for the next month and not standing up committees and things like that. In terms of China, I just would point out, maybe bring it home to the Midwest. Uh, one thing we're seeing is China or Chinese linked entities buying up a bunch of land in America near military bases. That's happening. In some ways, it's, it's, it's getting around the, uh, well, I'm not going to use an acronym, Hugh, because uh, you've trained me well. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, otherwise known as CFIUS, is supposed to scrutinize these with enhanced authorities who's given them. And in many cases, that's not happening. We want to go out and hold a field hearing where this is happening and understand why the CCP is doing this and what threat it poses to our military facilities. That's one. The other thing we can do right now, the more we learn about TikTok, the more we realize it's basically just a weapon for the Chinese Communist Party to suck up your data that they can use or to actively harm Americans in terms of the algorithms that they feed them. It's why we've called it digital fentanyl. We need to pass legislation building upon the government ban that we just did in, in the omnibus uh, and expanding the ban nationally. That's a missed opportunity right there. And then finally, just explaining to the American people why things like defending Taiwan or helping Taiwan defend itself matter uh, before it's too late, before we see another massive deterrence failure like we saw in Ukraine and we find ourselves on the cusp of a huge kinetic confrontation with the Chinese Communist Party for which we are not currently prepared because we are not doing enough to rebuild the military. That's what's not happening. Our nation's southern border is among the crises that remain unaddressed as the House struggled to get its affairs in order. Tom Homan has been watching closely. Homan is the former acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He was a guest of Sebastian Gorka. Well, what does Title 42 matter, whether it's in place or not, if the Biden administration isn't using it to deport people? Isn't this like a red herring? The Biden administration has released more people into the U.S. than they sent back under Title 42. 
just the bottom line. We have a new report out from ICE. How much can we trust the figures in the reporting and the, the uh, agency that you used to run this new report? They're trying to hide how bad it is at ICE and how little they're doing in enforcement. The ICE reported 143,000 at-large arrests. Bottom line is, out of the 143,000, almost 100,000 were actually arrested by Border Patrol, ICE cross system. Well, they want to call them their arrests. So, you know, if you're padding numbers like that, Hang, hang on. ICE is claiming that they arrested more than 100,000 people that they hadn't actually arrested? Yeah, it's just short 100,000. They got 143,000. Wow. Arrested well over 90,000 of them. So I don't know how they call them ICE at-large arrest. So, you know, that's one number. Second, I'm looking further in the report. You look at recent border entrance. The secretary says national security, criminals, and recent border entrance are priority. You know, Syracuse University just did a study. They recently last week tracked that they, they did a rocket dock. All these family groups coming across, all these family groups. So they, 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 did a, they did a study. These family groups going to immigration court and how they fared. They said 93% lost their case. They, they, they did not qualify for asylum. So I've been saying 9 out of 10 don't qualify. Well, this study backs me up. So what head is that 9 out of 10? According to the secretary, they should be promptly removed. Coming up. The fact that these Democrats sleep well after passing laws to make sure that the mutilation of children is legal proves that the conscience in most people is useless. Dennis Prager looks at California when the Town Hall Review returns in a minute. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm back in California now as I speak to you. As we look at the Golden State today, it is, in so many respects, a lesson of the downside of single-party governance. With supermajorities in both legislative chambers, the governor and the dominance in Los Angeles and San Francisco, Democrats run this state, and only Democrats. And they are running it on an increasingly hard-left agenda. Dennis Prager looks at the legislation passed last year. Anyway, the first one I'm bringing to you, SB, Senate Bill 107. This law signed by Governor Gavin Newsom in September protects the use of drugs or surgery to provide gender-affirming care, unquote, to children from other states where the use of such treatments is restricted or criminalized. Not only that, I don't even understand how, how this is legal. It prohibits doctors from releasing information to other states and prohibits California courts interfering in child custody over such treatments. Not only can you take your child away from the other parent and have her breast cut off in California, but they uh, prohibit the doctors from telling the other spouse, the other parent, that that's what they did or that's what they will do. The interesting thing for those of you interested in humanity is that the people in the California Senate and Gavin Newsom sleep well at night. The ability of human beings to dull the conscience is infinite. 
The conscience is about as weak in most human beings in history and today as, uh, I can't even think of a parallel. I would say you get as much moral guidance from your appendix as from your conscience in most human beings. The fact that these Democrats sleep well, uh, in that after passing laws to make sure that the mutilation of children is legal, proves that the conscience in most people is useless. Another bill that's, that comes into force this week, first week of the year, the COVID misinformation bill, Assembly Bill 2098. The law signed in September requires California's medical licensing board to take disciplinary action against doctors who are involved with the, quote, dissemination of misinformation or disinformation related to the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus or COVID-19. That's right. So if you're a doctor in California and you tell your patient who has early stage COVID, you might try hydroxychloroquine and zinc, you might try ivermectin, you can lose your license as a doctor. This is unprecedented to the best of my knowledge. If you say that there might be no reason on earth uh, for you, uh, someone under 50, to take the vaccine, let alone if you are in your 20s or teens, you can lose your license to practice medicine. I guess they are unaware that a country as progressive as Denmark has essentially banned, essentially, you're allowed to have it, but it it is opposed to any Dane who is healthy and under 50 from taking the COVID vaccine. How many people reading the mainstream press know that? The answer is probably zero. Oh, but here's the cutest one. I got to, this is inventive. This is inventive. Assembly Bill 2147 goes into effect today. Decriminalizing jaywalking because of racism. What do you think of that? Yep. It's called the Freedom to Walk Act. Presumes that jaywalking is a racist crime because it is supposedly enforced unevenly in the nation's most left-wing state in communities of color where people apparently cannot pay the fines. The law prevents police from stopping people who are crossing the street illegally unless they are in danger. The left keeps me religious. It's true. When I realize the dead end that secularism comes to, where the society supports the mutilation of children, then I realize, whoa, who's opposed to it? Disproportionately religious Jews and Christians. Ah, why doesn't that tell you something? Don't you judge? Aren't you supposed to judge every ideology by its fruit? Is, is the secular left producing beauty, kindness, rationality? 
Do you know that there are now more and more districts that are telling kids that they have to come to school with a mask on? Now, in 2023. Uh, So the COVID misinformation law, if a doctor says stuff that the perverse medical community the the disreputable American Medical Association or California Medical Association disagrees with, you can lose your license to practice medicine. Then there is decriminalizing jaywalking because uh, blacks are disproportionately uh, fined for jaywalking. I talk to my black friends about this all the time, and they, they, they're, they're just, oh, God, they're traumatized by the jaywalking stoppings that take place in California. Let's see. Here's a new one. I hadn't read about this. SB 1375, Senate bill, allowing nurses to perform abortions without doctors. Wow. I didn't read this one. This law attempts to expand access to abortion by allowing qualified nurses to perform perform certain abortion procedures in the first trimester of pregnancy without the supervision of a doctor. Huh. Uh, Let's see here. SB 357, decriminalizing loitering for prostitution. Criminalizes loitering in public for the purposes of committing prostitution, which remains a crime. I don't don't know how that... I, I mean, I just don't know how that works. If you loiter for prostitution, you could be arrested. You're, you're, I mean, excuse me, that's legal. But if you actually engage in it, that's illegal. All right. I just wanted to get the logic of it. And let's see. State control of fast food restaurants. That's on hold. Ooh, as reported last year, this law, quote, creates a 10-member Politburo. This is Breitbart News known as the Fast Food Council, which would serve for 10 years and would set wages and working conditions for the fast food industry. It has been suspended by the courts after a coalition of restaurants that collected petitions, signatures sued to block it until a referendum can be held. All right. Every year I bring to you new laws passed in California. Coming up, China's eye on Taiwan and why it matters. We care about Taiwan because they control 95% of all the chip manufacturing in the world. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docuseries called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis. Available exclusively on SalemNow.com. Produced by Turning Point USA. Available at SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. There are a host of reasons to be concerned about what we've seen unfolding in our nation's capital this past week. Among them, our world is a dangerous place. And our enemies and adversaries on the world stage are more than happy 
to watch our nation struggle with the transition to Republican control of the House. More than happy to watch us bitterly divided, consumed with domestic squabbles while they pursue their own ambition. Julie Hartman turned to Andrew Bustamante, an ex-CIA covert intel officer and the founder of Everyday Spy. From the podcast, Timeless with Julie Hartman. They ask you to write an essay about three parts of the world that you think will be the biggest trouble spots for the United States in the next five years. What would you say those are? I would, I would absolutely put China and Taiwan at the top of the list. I think that is an imminent threat that we're going to have to deal with before the next presidential cycle. Uh, and even more to that point, the policy that we put in place every day right now in our chip war against China, uh, our semiconductor in our, in our chip war that we have against China with Taiwan, the more pressure we put on China, the more we force them to take action imminently. They can't, they know that they can't sit back and wait five years and give us a chance to fund Taiwan. So we have to take some kind of action now. So uh, I would say China is very much at the top of that list. I would also say that Iran is at the top of that list as well. So China in the number one slot, Iran in the number two slot. A big part of that is because Iran is essentially the fallback partner to Russia. Not many people know that, but Iran and Russia walk in, in lockstep with each other, and they have for many decades now. So as Russia continues to take, uh, take the brunt of the world's you know, conflict right now, uh, Iran is there to support them on the back end and to replace them if they do turn into a more failed state. And then third behind there, that's where it starts to get a little bit tricky. Um, in some ways, I would say that Germany is a concern for me. Uh, and I say that because Germany has made very audacious uh, claims that it wants to become the new leader of Europe. It's, and it, it's making good decisions. It wants to lead Europe because right now, the chancellor of Germany recognizes that the United States leads Europe. And the United States does not have the same you know, things to lose that Europe has. So a truly strong European country or a truly strong European Union led by a European country is a huge risk to the United States and our ability to spread our, uh, our influence and our policy around the world. Does that mean we're gonna go to war with Germany? No, but it is really interesting to see such a significant change in the attitude that NATO has in just less than a year since the Ukraine conflict started. Do you think that the turmoil in Iran may make it less likely that it would stand in the number two slot? I no, because ter turmoil in Iran is constant. Uh, it just doesn't always make headlines, right? And Iran has a long history of taking any kind of resistance and just absolutely violently pressing it down until until the resistance stops. I want to go back to number one, what you said about China. Now, some people could argue, let's say China does invade Taiwan. What does it really matter to the United States? Surely it's bad for the Taiwanese people, but why should we as Americans care? What's your response to that? Yeah, it, it's the right question to be asking. Uh, and I think that's the question that senior Chinese war planners are asking every day. What does it matter to the United States? We are really economically more interested in having supply to our, our high-tech industry. That's why the United States cares about Taiwan. We care about Taiwan because they control 95% of all the chip manufacturing in the world. And currently that manufacturing process happens in Taiwan and is shipped through China on its way to the West. That's really what we care about. But then there's this tricky piece there where we promised to protect Taiwan when they first ran away from the communist revolution in 1949. Mm -hmm. So now we have this kind of outstanding promise that's not really reflected in policy. 
And we have all of these American allies watching to see what is the United States going to do to help Taiwan? Because if America really does nothing to help Taiwan, then we are going to have a massive loss of face and a loss of influence because we don't hold our promises to our foreign allies. And that benefits China and that benefits Russia and it benefits Iran because all of those, you know, South American countries, European countries, African countries are going to look at the United States and say, we can't trust them to, to have our back like they said they would. At the same time, if an American soldier dies in a conflict between China and Taiwan, the American people are going to have something to say about that. So we run this risk of if we do nothing, we keep the American people happy. If we do something, the American people will get angry and then we might end up having our policy essentially dictated from within. So I, that's why Chinese war planners, Taiwanese war planners and American war planners are all wringing their hands right now because it's very unclear how that is going to play out in the future. It, if you look at it in terms of economics, it doesn't impact us positively to get involved in what's happening in Taiwan. You can learn more about Timeless with Julie Hartman at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up, the Twitter files and the First Amendment. I think this is a growing awakening to relationships that have really controlled much of the messaging. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. When Elon Musk first floated the notion of buying Twitter, there were a host of smart voices who thought he was bluffing. Ah, he's just a provocateur, they said. He's saber-rattling. Many more didn't want him to because it would be a distraction from his day job, things like Tesla or SpaceX. But Musk did buy it. And what he's unearthed in the Twitter files is more than many, including yours truly, expected. Pete Peterson, Dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, was a guest of Seth Leibson on AM 960 The Patriot in Phoenix. This has been a huge, huge light, a uh, bright light on the surrendering of the entire purpose of the First Amendment and the media's uh, protection within it and the point of the protection of it. Right. And of course, if we think about the social media to think that the political culture and these relationships between social media, government and the so-called mainstream media were only happening in the Twitter case. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This was this was Facebook, Instagram, yeah. uh, TikTok yeah. with other influences being brought to bear there as well. Again, I, I think this is a growing awakening to these relationships that have really controlled much of the messaging Good. about a variety of issues. And I, I think we're right to be suspicious. And I'm sure there's going to be more to come. I mean, we have the interview with Joe Rogan mm -hmm. and Mark Zuckerberg yep. of Facebook, yep. Yep. who was doing the same thing at Facebook. Yeah, right? shamelessly, seemingly shamelessly. Yeah, he, the it DOJ was... was reaching out to them about oh. the Hunter Biden laptop right. uh, story, and of course they were squelching that on their platform. So this is something, again, this triumvirate between 
government, mainstream media, and social media that needs to be examined. It was uh, interesting to me in that Zuckerberg interview with Rogan how shameless Zuckerberg seemed to. He didn't seem to have any shame over it. He was there was no embarrassment. There was no. He seemed he seemed like this was just perfectly fine. This was just oh so ho hum. I, I thought that yeah. was an interesting takeaway too. No, that's right, and, and no questioning or curiosity yeah. as to yeah. you know should is we this be doing real? this? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. right, and especially in light of some of the things that came out during the 2016 campaign yeah. and what we learned again about the connection between releases of information regarding then candidate Trump's campaign and the so-called connections to Russia. I mean, we already learned that there was some bad information being released to the media there. The fact that they wouldn't at least be a little bit suspicious, especially when the information from the DOJ seemed to be coming from one side and involved with one campaign. Yeah, absolutely right, Pete. And yeah, there's a lot more to say about that. Pete, there aren't that many public intellectuals in the conservative universe whose name is known almost universally. Um, In fact, I was just having a conversation with Steve Hayward uh, yesterday, and we were talking Mm. about who were the public intellectuals, who were the conservative public intellectuals uh, in the 1970s of of wide repute. And I really came up with two, and he, he threw a third in there. I said Buckley and George Will. He said, you have to also add Milton Friedman. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was a good yeah. addition. Um, yeah, yeah. Today, uh, we, we, we have far and few, but you got one, and there is one. Uh, yeah. Victor Davis Hansen, and you guys just did a wonderfully uh, impressive announcement with the great uh, teacher, Victor Davis Hansen. You want to say a word about that? Yeah, I sure do. I mean, you talk about other things uh, that were make me optimistic was right. uh, the opportunity to announce that Dr. Hansen will be returning to the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine as our new uh, Giles O'Malley visiting professor and will begin teaching with us uh, here in Malibu next fall. Fantastic. So this has been something that's been months in the making. Uh, it involved a a visit with the donor uh, who has named the chair out to see Dr. Hansen at his farm in Central Valley, California, and uh, just uh, so excited to make that announcement right towards the end of this year. And again, he'll be he'll be with us and with our students uh, starting next fall and teaching classes in military history and more broadly the what we would call applied history, how we use history to inform current and future policy decisions. The media's silence about uh, the social media censuring and censoring. Uh, Keep politics out of education. That was the message from the left then. Um, And and I'm wondering if it in some ways still may be the message of the left in higher education in the sense that they don't think that what we, Victor Davis Hanson, you, have to say is acceptable stuff in the classroom. In other words, let me put it the other way. Put the shoe on the other foot, perhaps their foot. They don't think what they're saying is political. What they think right. they're saying is absolute, uh, universal, and agreed-upon truth. And to yeah. them, maybe it's not politics. I wonder if they think yeah. that in the same way that I'm guessing 
the silence of the New York Times and the Washington Post on the on the censoring of the New York Post and 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 the government's efforts yeah. with Twitter is something that they're not talking a lot about because they, gosh darn it, they agree with it. I'm just wondering well, and, if, and if, it, if there's an yeah, element so to I, that. I, I would point the listener or those who may take that perspective to one one resource and one recent story, which I also tweeted out. One is a book called Passing on the Right by uh, two scholars, uh, John Shields at Claremont and Josh Dunn at uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, in which they interviewed somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 conservative scholars about what it's like to be a conservative in academia. And this is a Oxford Press book, so mm-hmm. it's an academically rigorous book. And not a single one of those interviewed wanted to reveal their names <laughs> in the book. Good Lord. And the stories, one after another, about, you know, being shamed for writing for the Wall Street Journal, wow. making sure that they controlled or thought twice about what they were going to research and write about, this only reveals a highly ideological, not scientific, yeah. ideological environment that's pervasive, again, across America. The second is this story I also tweeted out about, which was apparently there's a a new secret society of archaeology scholars and students, uh, doctoral students, who are in a chat room or a social media group talking about various subjects of their research in archaeology that is revealing things that they believe will get them thrown out of academia. And so they are posting some of their research unattributed. Coming up. Were we allowed to even raise these right. questions? More on First Amendment free expression with Pete Peterson. In the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, stay with us. Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. While the House of Representatives struggles to choose a new speaker, we'll look at the national crisis along our southern border. El Paso is becoming a shanty town right now. And the administration's unwillingness to do anything about it. 380,000 illegal immigrants. The U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement has admitted they don't even have records for them. And we'll look at the toxic impact of social media on young people. 60% of teen girls persistently feel sad and lonely. And Mm. these girls are on like five social media platforms. So you'd think from the face of it, they're more connected with people than ever before. And yet they don't feel connected with anybody. Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. If we are going to have a culture and a nation guided by the First Amendment, a mandatory exercise for the government, one that embraces free speech, the Twitter files and the lessons of the past two years make it clear. We need to regain something. We need to reestablish that free expression is a good thing. Let's pick up with a few more minutes of Seth Leibson with Pete Peterson at Pepperdine. Pete, one of the other things that comes with this whole uncovering of what was done in the suppression of speech, particularly uh, on the campuses um, now, what we're learning is that the censoring, specifically on social media, of people like Jay Bhattacharya or Scott Atlas, mm-hmm. if their message were to have allowed to flourish, if their message, if their doubts, if their concerns were to have been disseminated, you know, 
the whole point of free speech is that the better ideas will conquer the worse, the lesser ideas. You know, it's 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 entirely likely that a lot more lives actually would have been saved. There is a life and death consequence to this sort of thing is is I think not too high a way or too strong a way to put it. I wonder if you agree. Well, as we've talked about many times this year, the decisions made by so-called public health experts, which at two levels, one focusing on a particular outcome as being a sign of success, in this case, the belief that lockdowns would reduce cases Mm -hmm. as being the sole way to do that and the sole measure of success while excluding the other public health implications of that strategy. That was one failure. But what we're beginning to see now, especially as we look at China and their, uh, I mean, we have we have amazing case studies, do we not now, when we look at countries, granted, very a lot of different pieces to them, a lot of different elements in the policy. But if you look at a, a Sweden and you look at a China, where one avoided lockdowns, particularly in schools, and focused their uh, in Sweden, their lockdowns really towards the most vulnerable. Uh, you look at a China, which has been much more aggressive nationwide across demographics in in its lockdowns, that at least at this point, it appears that the the path that Sweden has taken, certainly as it regards a broader understanding of public health, mm-hmm. one that includes mental health, educational attainment, and so forth, seems to have been the right play. Mm-hmm. It, it goes back to this other piece that we mentioned in the other segment. Were we allowed to even raise these right. questions? Right. And uh, what you mentioned before about Jay Bhattacharya and the others uh, that were involved in the in the Great Barrington yeah. Declaration, yeah. Uh, the fact that that was squelched not only in social media but the media more broadly – Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin, producer David Pushan, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt, wishing you a very happy new year and the many blessings that you need and deserve in the year ahead. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.